Hi, I'm Pandora Scooter, queer mama sapien, and you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I'm Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley, and here's a couple of random facts. The Outer Space Treaty, formerly known as Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in Exploration and Use of Outer Space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies, ratified in 1967, prohibits any country from claiming sovereignty over the moon or any other celestial bodies and from placing nuclear weapons or other weapons of mass destruction on them. Glad to know that. Yeah. That is helpful. Let's not blow up the moon. No. Now, my random fact is the leaf sheep is the only animal that can photosynthesize, and it's an incredibly cute little sea creature. Uh, I'm wondering why it's called a sheep. Because it looks like a sheep. It looks like (laughs) a little green sheep covered in leaves. (laughs) It's got the cutest face. Sounds like a Pokemon. (laughs) I know. It looks like a Pokemon. (laughs) That is very cool. And I have a random question. What is the longest one-syllable word in the English language? Hmm. Quam? Nope. Hmm. Is it, ah! (laughs) That's a good one. That could work, actually. But no, it is squirreled. Squirreled? 11 letters, if you spell it the British Oh, my gosh. One syllable? Yes. I would say it is Two. Do you say squirreled? Squirreled? Yes, only, I do. Only if I Shakespearean. Only if you're Shakespearean, you would say squirreled. That's the first squirreled. thing. Squirreled. 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 <laughs> squirreled. <laughs> I would. I would say it is squirreled, but squirreled. I can see squirreled. Squirreled. Yeah, I think. No, it's I would say like it, anyway. was, it was squirreled, squirreled away I'm in a little squirreled. nut hole. My <laughs> random fact is de- debatable. <laughs> What was the random question? Well, no. I mispronounced things anyway. <laughs> I, I I mispronounced detritus because that was one of the, it's like the list of words you've only ever read and never heard. Yeah. And I would I used to pronounce it in my head as detritus. And then oh. I'm hearing people on the news say detritus. And mm-hmm. okay. And I go, okay. It's the it's where you place the accents. And I think yeah. Americans want to place it on the, the first syllable or the first syllable. And the, the British want to place it on the second syllable. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Very, very interesting. <laughs> so, what do we have coming up today? Today, we're going to have my conversation with Pandora Scooter, who is a longtime 
activist and uh, performance artist. She, she's very awesome. And she has a new show that she's working on called Cognitive Dissonance or How to Speak to Woke White People. <laughs> so she read uh, some of that and we, we talked a lot and it's a, it's, a, it's a deep, good conversation. That sounds really cool. I can't wait to hear that. But before we move on to the news, we want to give a shout out to our Leftscape listeners. And if you're new to the show, hello and welcome. Hello. Hello. You can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday and subscribe on our website, leftscape.com. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever your podcasts are listened to. And while you're on our website, sign up for our monthly newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. You yes. can like us at facebook.com slash leftscape. Follow, follow us, us on Twitter at leftscape. Follow us on Instagram at leftscape. And to support the podcast, please join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash leftscape, where we've got extra content and lots of fun stuff. Uh, you can join us at the front row seat level for $1 a month. And it goes up from there. And your contributions really help us a lot. Thank you so much for your support. And we appreciate you. And now, here's all the news we can handle. So SpaceX Dragon Crew 1 launched successfully on uh, Sunday. And it had four astronauts in, on board, and it's headed to the ISS. And probably by the time, I think I think when we're recording this, I believe they're going to be docking this afternoon. And so they'll be on board the ISS by the time you guys hear this. And, and that by ISS, you mean International, International Space, Space Station. Station. Okay. Yes, yes. I mean, space nerds should know what the ISS is. So. <laughs> well, that's exciting. And uh, the other thing that, that hit my feed this morning is Moderna has announced their early data showing that their COVID vaccine has a 94.5% That's terrific. effectiveness. You know, they're, so they're competing with Pfizer, who's got a 90% effective vaccine. What else is happening? We haven't. We have. Oh, we had. We had an election. Yeah, right? we did. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think we had and just exactly had the election, happened. and nothing was announced um, when we last spoke. And so we can now say congratulations to President-elect Biden and VP-elect Harris, which is exciting news. Yes. Um, yeah, I think everybody's excited about Harris. Yeah. Well. A set of everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot there's of subsets. There's a Venn diagram. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that was, um, it was a long ass wait for an announcement that seemed pretty inevitable after the first couple of days. So it was really good to. I apologize to that. everybody. I was doing sympathetic magic by putting together the the blue wave puzzle, uh, the great wave of, of, God, I can't remember now. The Japanese it's, wave thing. Yes, the Japanese blue wave puzzle was a thousand piece puzzle and it was way harder than I thought. But I will say this, when I finally got the first section of the blue wave is like, I just finished putting that piece in and then I heard on the news that uh, Reuters or the AP had called 
something for they they finally got his biden got over 270 right when i finished that so i got very encouraged and, <laughs> and i did i i swear to god i've been where i was working on that puzzle diligently all week and when i finished it it's like they announced that it was like so it was all your fault that it took so long and then you you helped solve it and then i happen to have seen on facebook that you also had one missing piece Uh and i thought that looked actually really cool as an art piece with the one missing piece but i said hmm i don't know about that so that when you found it i have to say i was relieved because then i'm like okay then we're not gonna have a coup he's gonna get He's going to get inaugurated. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. But, but if you left that one piece out, I was going to be. No, 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 no. No, I was, I was literally a minute later, I found the piece. I just, it was under the table where I was working. <laughs> but I was prepared to tear my entire house apart to find that piece. <laughs> I was totally ready to do that. We should put some pictures up of the puzzle on the on yeah. Instagram and Facebook. That looks really cool. But, uh, but anyway. My newsletter. That aside, I'm very happy (laughs) that with the result of the election, and um, I want to trust our system to work it through, because obviously certain people are not conceding and not believing in this result, but I I want to trust it. It's so ridiculous. (laughs) It's going to come about in the way that it should. And I I don't know, we have to figure out some sort of sympathetic magic to do for the Georgia runoff in February. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Do you have a puzzle um, of a Georgia peach tree or something? I, I have no Make idea. sure it only has know. five pieces. I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm open to suggestions from our <laughs> listeners of what we should be doing for sympathetic magic for the joy for the Georgia election. Eat a peach because, pie. Uh, the control of the Senate is as important to getting the progressive agenda even talked about or looked at as the as the executive branch. Oh yeah, because McConnell will not pe- let anything happen for for two years. You know, until he get until we get control of the Senate. True, true. <sighs> well, here's one thing we can do in the meantime. If you <laughs> if you like to run, there will be a charity run in Philadelphia from Four Seasons Total Landscaping to the Four Seasons Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> How now, far is that? It's a it's an eleven mile run, so wow. it's, it's that's a bit. I mean, I could. It's tough. It would be tough for me. I like to run, but that's a, I'd have to really be in training for this one. But the funny thing is that I'm sure everyone's seen by now. Like there was this ridiculous press conference set up for Rudy Giuliani, talking about contesting Didn't the election. Anybody like question that. is this the place we're supposed to be? Well, that's what that got booked, and it was the Four Seasons Total Landscaping, which <laughs> perhaps they meant to book the Four Seasons, you know, in the hotel. center of town or whatever, the, the big hotel. But anyway, it wound up in this really ridiculous spot. And and when he, he actually got the news that the election had been called, like while he was in the middle of the press <laughs> conference, which just made it even the whole thing funnier. But anyway, Philadelphia's sense of humor does not doesn't disappoint because <laughs> they decided or someone decided to put together this charity run from the very famous Four Seasons Total Landscaping to the somewhat known Four Seasons Hotel. And um, <laughs> that will take place on November 29th. It's not an official run. Oh, by the way, that's because they call it the Fraud Street Run. The Fraud Street As run. opposed to the, the actual Broad <laughs> Street Run that happens. <laughs> oh, my God. That's good. So, uh, I, I was wondering what the people at Four Seasons Landscaping thought when all these people showed up at their place well, well they actually called them and booked it and i think that they 
you know, they agreed to they agreed to it, so they knew that it was happening, but it's very funny. And they've done a good job. The website, if you go to Four Seasons Total Landscaping, they have merch. They got merch over the weekend. You can buy stickers that say things like lawn and order <laughs> and t-shirts and things like that. Um, well, they got to cash in on their 15 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, but this run is actually, it's not, that's what I was going to say. It's not an official run. There's no stands with water and timings and all that kind of stuff. But, you you know, they're, invi- they're inviting people to do it and to contribute to fill abundance if you, if you do the run. So it's like an unofficial do it for charity kind of a thing. That's on November cool. 29th. So I'll put the I'll put the link on our. Oh, show notes. it's not it's not a charity to send money to the uh, Democrats. No, no. no. Okay. It's, it's, it's just a community based thing. And yeah, I, I, I kind of like that. The community based things are really important now since the government isn't doing fuck all for anybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. So <sighs> that's the news. Hello, my name is Dylan Carmichael, uh, founder of RBM. I like long walks on the beach. And you are listening to Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. This podcast is sponsored by Slightly Larger Jeans. Do you plan on sitting at home for four to six months eating takeout? Maybe you should consider Slightly Larger Jeans. On sale now, where you bought your current jeans. And now, back to our podcast. Well, I am very happy to be here with Pandora Scooter. Pandora is a playwright, poet, performer, and provocateur. Also <laughs> a fan of alliteration, yeah. I could say. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, she's an award-winning playwright and spoken word artist, including uh, having won Best Musical with composer Rachel Felstein. Felstein? Felstein, yeah. Okay, that's right. For her punk rock all-female feminist musical, Wretch. Two of her solo shows, Outwardly Fabulous and I Am Enough, both focused on helping LGBTQ teens have toured the U.S. She's taught at Mason Grove School of the Arts, Drew and Ryder Universities, and currently teaches at NYU. And she lives in Highland Park, New Jersey, where she's re- resided for 30 years. It's a town I like a lot. So Yeah, it's a great, and I don't, great town. Yes, and I don't get to see you enough. So hi. 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 It's so nice to virtually see you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. So you have a, a new show and your latest show is called Cognitive Dissonance or How to Speak to Woke White People. Yeah. <laughs> so would you want to say a little bit about that or just start us out with a, a reading? Oh, yeah. Um I get really pissed off about the way white people uh, figure out ways to get away with their racism. And, um, and it, uh, the, one of the newer ways is to use this word woke and now even newer is anti-racist. And it's, um, I feel like they're euphemisms, you know, like the word problematic is a euphemism for racist or, you know, people are using problematic all the time. Oh, it's problematic. It really means it's oppressive. It's, it's, you know, killing people. Um, Cop shooting black people is not problematic. It's illegal and inhumane. 
Um, so uh, I pick at liberals a lot uh, for the ways in which they hide from their uh, complicity with oppression and inequality. And um, so I'm writing this piece. It's a solo show. It's not done yet, but I'm writing this piece basically trying to say, you know, I get it. I get that you're trying to do the right thing and that's really awesome, but you haven't gone far enough and maybe you can take the next step with me. Cool. That's, that's a lot. I want to, uh, let's hear something if you want to. Yeah, sure. A little bit. Um, so this is a, this is a, there's a, there's an ongoing character in the piece, um, who's the woman and she is running the how to speak to woke white people workshop and um, trying to kind of get the audience in on the idea that there is beyond woke there's wise. So, um, so she's talking about woke in this passage. So what does being woke really mean It means being hip to your own collusion with the oppressor, with the man, with white supremacy. How many whites are truly in touch with their white privilege and supremacy? Sure, we might have just gotten a whole lot of white folks to admit they're racist, but can you feel how quickly that's turning into a positive expression? How admitting you're racist is fast becoming a norm, the new normal, like admitting you're human, you're flawed. Nobody's perfect. It's another trope. It shouldn't be a trope. It ought to be a rope, a noose, but it ain't. Being woke sets him free, free from responsibility, free from culpability, free from deep self-explanatory surgery to excise the crap in their mind map that says there's no real there there. That sure, I'm a racist, but all white people are. And so it's not okay, but I'm a good guy. I do my part. It's not that bad. That's the opposite of what it's supposed to be. It should bring them to their knees. Trope, noose, trope, noose, trope, noose. It shouldn't be relieving to admit you're part of a system that oppresses, robs human beings with brown skin of their rights, like their right to breathe or their right to peace of mind or their right to live wherever they choose. That's kind of (gasps) like... Well, it's taken me a long time to come to grips with this, but I'm a Nazi. I hate Jews. Man, that feels good to say. It's like taking a good solid shit. I'm so proud of myself. Trope. Noose. Trope. Noose. Yeah, that you need to deserve some little silence after. Wow. You need kind of a trigger warning when I open my mouth sometimes. That's amazing. And um, I, it kind of throws my questions out the window because I want to ask you. Oh, yeah. How, how do you. I mean, I hear you and I hear that. That that. Uh, not of how do you get from one place from that place to some other place right you know and do you feel like we're at the big 
beginning of something positive or do you feel like it's really just sort of as you were describing just sort of uh submerging the the real problems again yeah i think i think it's the same old shit i think it's um i mean i i i am apologetic to be cynical um or pessimistic i do feel apologetic about it but um but i am not hopeful that um i've been doing this project where i've been interviewing liberal white people about their racism and i've been doing like dozens and dozens of these interviews and just like talking to them about their racism they're liberals and everyone is so well-meaning about you know how they're identifying as anti-racist or they used to be racist but now they realize that or they used to think they were not racist and now they they realize that they're racist but it's kind of against their will and you know they didn't mean to and talking to these folks you know um it's been a little disheartening um because one of the questions that I ask them is like, when you're in a group of people with some black people present, um, do you try to keep your mouth shut? You know, and the response that I've been getting is things like, you know, well, it depends on what we're talking about. If we're talking about race, then of course, you know, I would keep my mouth shut. But if we're talking about anything else, you know, why, why would I, you know, why would I ever, you know, seed the floor, you know, in any other situation, we're talking about cooking, you know, why would I, you know, give up my space? And I just, I, I, you know, I mean, I choke at that mo moment and I, I tear up and I, um, I feel hopeless um, to a degree because these are people who are good people and they identify themselves as, as progressive and, and part of, part of the fight you know the good fight um but they're kind of missing it they're missing the point and they're missing how 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 easily complicit they are in their day-to-day mm -hmm. -day lives i mean i see i see uh liberal white folks talk over black people all the time you know and it's it's, um, oh gosh, it's, it's, and it's, and because of white fragility, it's really difficult to point it out in the moment because people get so sensitive and, and hurt, you know, when you, when it's pointed out, um, white fragility also, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a good book, but it really misses kind of, I mean, it's kind of a, it's it's kind of an apology, you know, Robin DiAngelo is kind of writing this apology for white people being the way they are and then trying to help them not be that way. And I read the book three times because I was I kept trying to go back to like see if there was something more there and there really isn't more there. And um and I just every everyone I interviewed is talking about, oh, I'm reading White Fragility or it's on my coffee table or I ordered it from Amazon. So everybody's, you know, reading white fragility. And I think they should be reading the people's history of the United States. Um, that's probably a much, much more illuminating book on the matter of black people and how they've been treated in this country since the beginning, since before the beginning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So you would say, well, well, first of all, I'm I'm interested in how we're talking about whiteness now as a thing because it was always the the default. Right, right. You know, are there are there traits that you consider part of whiteness other than uh, the fragility piece I I hear a lot about? Yeah. I would say there's a remarkable ignorance of self um, because they've never had to. I mean, this is the thing. Like, I, I don't hate white people. I don't, I don't, I'm not a, you know, a phobe about white people or anything like that. I mean, I, my dad's white, half my family's white. Um, I just, I was brought up in such a marginalized way, almost exclusively by my Japanese mother, who was an immigrant. So I feel very marginalized and um, just other in this culture uh, for so many reasons that have nothing to do with race. Um, But I, I do see, I mean, whiteness is really something for white people to study black people and Asian people and Indian people and native Americans, everybody, you know, Latinx, you know, everybody, we've all been studying white people are this whole time trying to figure out how to play that game so we can get some of the pie, you know? And so I think we all know what whiteness is, but I think white people don't know what whiteness is, which is where that conversation comes from. Mm -hmm. I've been wondering about this, um, for those of us of mixed backgrounds, are there pieces? Uh, do do we autom- do we automatically know it culturally? Are there things that we miss? Are there things that we are there are there strengths that we have that help us communicate across lines? Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, don't know the answer to the, any I mean, of this. It's just I've, something no, I wonder. No, I think I, it's interesting because in in the show, how to speak to woke white people. I have a piece in there about being biracial and how my biracialness makes me fluent in a variety of different cultural languages. Um, And so I see myself in some situations as a bridge, you know, because white people tend to trust me about issues around, you know, people of color um, I don't know why, but um, they seem to think I have some kind of knowledge that's useful that they can hear, you know, that they're not scared to hear when it comes from me. Um, and I think that's a power, a privilege and a power that I have that I like to use in order to illuminate uh, behaviors that are uh, not not productive and not helpful. And then, um, and then, I mean, for my black friends and family members, I'm definitely, you know, able to advocate, you know, um, although I often don't have to, I mean, everyone I know is able to stand up for themselves you know so um but i can be an added voice you know there um and i've always thought it was because i was biracial because i had to speak two different languages in my home 
you know, my father and my mother do not speak the same language. So I, I, you know, literally they don't speak the same language. And then also like culturally and, and reference wise, they don't speak the same language. So, um, so I had to learn many languages to survive my house. That's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, the, having a language barrier within your own home is, yeah. Or I don't, maybe it wasn't a barrier. Maybe it was a bridge or a, no, it was a barrier. It was doomed. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I have a somewhat different experience because I look black and am black and I'm also completely biracial in my experience and family. Ah. And so I think my, um, I don't know. My, I, I think I have perceptions that allow me to be a bridge in some ways. And I sometimes worry that I miss things that I should know about race that are different for me or oh. different in my family or my experience. So it's interesting to hear your your experience. Yeah. Which is also I mean, unique. I'm definitely sure I miss. I mean, hell, I'm a parent, so I know I miss a lot. Um I mean, I, there's tons of stuff that I miss. So, um, I'm sure there's stuff that I miss, but I, more often than not, I, I get the feedback from mostly my students that, um, they really appreciate my perspective and my approach to dealing with race and issues re related to race in the classroom. Um, and they see me, black students and white students have come up to me and see me as, uh, as I guess kind of a Switzerland, which is, you know, kind of strange cause I'm not, I'm definitely on one side over the other, but I guess in that setting, I, I come across as more impartial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what do you teach? I know you, you say you've done various things in oh, a yeah. few different schools. Well, everything I teach has to do with theater. I'm a, I'm, I'm a theater artist. And um, so right now I'm teaching a class in writing solo shows. Um, and I teach directing. I teach uh, acting. I teach script analysis. And... Is there anything else? I I coach playwriting. I I'm a playwright coach, kind of helping playwrights write write their stuff, uh, to the best of their ability. So, but everything is in theater. I've been doing theater since I was nine, and I'll I'll die, <laughs> I'll die doing theater. I'm going to be doing theater my whole life. <laughs> uh, that's so great, and and I know you really as a performer and as an activist and organizer of events. So I was not really that aware of your, your teaching right. piece. So that's really cool to yeah. know about. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm very lucky that, that my day job that pays the rent is something I love so much. I mean, I love performing, writing and performing more than anything, but if I had to have a runner up day job, it would be teaching. I love teaching. I think it's, I think it's a huge gift uh, to me and and to the people in the room. That's great. What's happening now with COVID? Are you yeah, teaching every, online? Everything's or? on Zoom. Everything's okay. on Zoom. We're doing, you know, 
acting and directing and performing on Zoom. It's absolutely insane. (laughs) Totally (laughs) insane. Uh, It keeps me up at night sometimes. But uh, but it's, you know... the people who are there have a great attitude. So it's, it's, it goes well. I'm glad to hear that you have the ability to stay home and take care and have your students take care of themselves also. Oh yeah, me too. I was really, I was, I felt very fortunate that all the schools I teach for decided to go remote. So that was, I'm actually now I'm already scared about the spring semester like, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. So we'll see. Wow. So I'm curious about, and I know you did, you said early on that you feel pretty pessimistic about our growth potential <laughs> around issues of race, but how do we continue? Is there a way that we continue to grow? Because I feel like th- that we are in this moment of hyper awareness. Yes about race and how it, how it's functioned historically, how it still continues to function yeah. in society. Um, and I see people who kind of get this, this kind of paralysis, like they're afraid to mess up. Right. I so know. They, either, they just don't say anything. Or I they're know. Just, you know, it's so or, bad. It's so bad. I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine about that. He was so pissed because he took down his Facebook picture and put up uh, just a black square and then he was informed by one of his black friends that that wasn't supportive of BLM or of black people. And he, he was, he's a big straight white guy. And he was just like, uh, you know, so pissed. He was so pissed. He got called out and he was so pissed that, you know, it wasn't the right thing and everything. And I said, Hey man, you know, you're going to make mistakes. It's, it's like, that's so what, you know, you're 50 years old, like just, chill like so what you know just keep trying it I mean one of the things is that I'm not really afraid to offend anybody as you know because I sort of feel like if if somebody's willing to correct me or have a conversation about it like that's a gift you know and I don't have a lot of ego about my ability to be like what uh appropriate or like in like whatever trend it is for saying this or saying that, like I remember when gypsy became a bad word, right? Because, or no, 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 not gypsy, gypped to be gypped became a bad word because of gypsy. And it was like a derogatory term to cheat someone that referred to these, this class of people. And I was like, Oh, Oh, wow. I never put that together. Wow. And I was so happy that this person pointed it out to me and I didn't feel embarrassed. I didn't, I didn't know. And I didn't hold myself accountable. I was just like, okay. And now, now I don't use it because I don't, cause I, I'm not going to do that. And, um, and, and I think, I think the ego, um, around, I mean, what happened in the sixties, right. With the civil rights movement was this crazy, rebranding of racism as from something that like just everybody was to something that you had to hide. And, and then once you had to hide it, this is not my information. This is Howard Zinn's information, but once you had to hide it, all of a sudden it became bad, which meant good people who were racist could not identify as racist because that would mean they were bad. So then they had to hide it. And that 
I think was the root of all of the problems for the next, now it's been 60 years pretty much since then to, you know, dealing with the ego around being a racist, you know, being a person who, you know, uh, benefits and who perpetuates oppression to their own, you know, uh, cause their own agenda. Um, and it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a judgment. It shouldn't be a judgment call. It shouldn't be a morality issue. It should just be, do you believe in equality? And if you do behave that way, and if you have to unlearn a whole bunch of things to do that, go ahead and do that. Um, or do, if you don't believe in equality, then don't behave that way because, you know, or behave that way because that's what you believe. And I think more people would be more comfortable being anti-racist or, or being fair and, you know, living by equality if there wasn't this morality uh, connected with being racist, you know. Um, I mean, I think that's generally true about just about everything in this culture is that because it's, it's so steeped in this morality of good and bad, right and wrong, sinful and, you know, saint, that, you know, people are paralyzed, they can't do anything. And I've decided to take a lot of that thinking out of my way of looking at the world. And I feel, um, I feel freer in my life because of it. And I feel that I'm able to talk about things much more easily than a lot of people are able to. Mm -hmm. It's very pragmatic, right? Because it's sort of taking like the, I, I think the idea of colorblindness is what came in in the sixties. Yeah. Too, the right? I'm, I'm not sure about that. It, it came in like, it was more like it came in. Well, actually a later, maybe. it was like a little later. It was like into the seventies, eighties, definitely in the nineties was when it started to become problematic. And, um, so, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so it was really the eighties. I remember seeing a production of our town that was cast. Every single character in our town was a different race or ethnic background or different gender from what the character was supposed to be. It was like this whole, whole like <laughs> colorblind fest that was going on. It was, it was uh, extremely difficult to try to figure out who was related to who in the families, but, um, but, but it was interesting. It was very interesting. It sounds like a good, I like the idea of playing different roles like in theater and being able to explore that. You know, and I, but I also do see what happened when I think the biggest problem is that you're just not allowed to talk about race. Like people think if you don't mention it, everything's fine. Yeah. That's yeah. sort of what happened with you that. You don't call attention Jeez. to it, you know, and like, yeah, I, I, I have a lot of uh, friends who are playwrights um, who are white and when they write black characters, you know, I always question them and I say, you know, why is this character black and what, what are you saying and what are you doing with a black character in your play? You know, what do you know about this character? What do you know about this, this person, you know, that you're portraying? And uh, a lot of times I get some pretty uh, decent responses from people um, not too defensive, you know, which is really, really good. Um, 
but um, but it, it's it's still really sensitive. It's still a really sensitive issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you feel about the the current idea that if you're this type, only this type of person can play I that role? I know, right? So I am so torn about that. I I I mean, you know, there are some straight men who play amazing gay men, uh, you know, and gay men who play amazing straight men. So I don't know what I think of it. Honestly, my, my jury is still out about it. I, I'm so mixed. I mean, it's like, you know, so that means that only a person with bipolar can play a character with bipolar. Like, is that really how far we're going? Like, what's the slippery slope here? You know, like, when is it going to be acting and not just referencing? You know, it's like, I'm referencing myself on in this performance, you know, but I'm not acting. So, you know, and, and I am sick of seeing only straight white guys play all these different kinds of characters. You know, I'm definitely sick of that. Um, but, but at a certain point, I think uh, it's really important that actors get to act characters other than who they are, um, because that's what acting is. So, um, but I'm so, I'm so torn. I'm so torn <laughs> about that one. <laughs> we are in interesting times. I can we say are, that. We are sure. very interesting times. Yeah. yeah. So I guess then the one of the ways is, well, we keep exploring and keep trying stuff, but also sort of getting rid of the, the weight of talking about these things somehow. Yeah, get away from the weight of it. Like, it's not scary. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't, you know, it, it, it's a thing. We're all dealing with it. And it's kind of like anything. If you don't deal with it, it gets worse. So the more you deal with it, the better it gets. The more we talk about race, racism, prejudice, sexism, homophobia, classism, you know, the more we talk about these things, religion, you know, the, the less power they have over us, the more power we have over it and those things. I believe that's where my idealism and optimism goes, you know, mm-hmm. I believe, which is why I do so many solo shows about so many very sensitive topics because that's how I talk about these things and hopefully get other people to talk about them. Awesome. So I know that you said uh, cognitive dissonance is not, it's not, it's an unfinished piece right now. Yeah, so still I'm working still on working on it. I have a, I have a deadline that's looming very close, but, uh. but it's not quite, not quite, not quite finished yet. All right. Very cool. Um, are there other, projects or things that you have happening that you want to mention? Um, Yeah, I wrote another solo show uh, called Mother's Day that is about my relationship to my mother. And um, that is written and is in rehearsal. And I'm not exactly sure if I'm going to be doing it on Zoom or if we're going to be waiting until we can do it in a theater or something like that. But, um, But I'm working on that and I'm writing a play about how art brings people closer together through confrontation. And so, um, 
So I'm writing that piece as well right now. That is really something to think about. That's cool. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for that that insight. <laughs> and um, so would you like to end with something? Sure, yeah. There's, there's a much lighter piece <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning of the show where I'm talking about like juggling lots of different um aspects of life and juggling all these different identities and things like that. So it's called 15 balls. Look at me. I'm life's clown swinging by life's trapeze. I'm trying not to look down. Cause if I do, I drop these 15 balls. I'm juggling. I'm struggling. Don't help me. If I can't do all of it, I might as well quit. And I can't love a clown who needs to look down Running my show 50 feet down below A chocolate nasal voice bellows How little I know She stands 5 foot even 98 pounds Buzz cut on her noggin She can go 15 rounds and still be standing She's the dyke that's always standing On the fence of my distress She's my strength and weakness She's all I got Her courage shot me out of that racist cannon Decimated the privilege life I had been planning Thrust me up on the stage, put me on display. A purple, purple peacock phoenix clown, girly gay, but her judgment, her judgment used to keep me from knowing what to say and kept me out at bay. Swing by life's trapeze, a purple phoenix clown, trying not to look down, cause if I do, I'll drop these 15 balls I'm juggling, struggling to appease the ringmistress who knows I could do 14 with ease. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, wow. It's been great talking to you. It's so great talking to you. And I hope that I, I wasn't too much. <laughs> uh, you are you are enough. <laughs> you are wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and and, and it, was, it was great. Thank great. you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Well, welcome to the Blanket Fort. This is our segment where we talk about self-care and uh, taking a break and all the things that we need to keep ourselves healthy and things related to that. So today I wanted to talk about anxiety because I find I'm having a lot of it. And it's not, it's different than ever. It's different than just feeling nervous about something. I'm, I'm, I find I'm experiencing something new. So this is not the up until now 2020 anxiety or the the Trump is president background anxiety. This is a whole different level of anxiety. Well, I feel like that stuff has to it, it's probably part of it somewhere in there. You know, one of the first things that happened, uh, well, one of the most dramatic things that happened, I'm remembering a couple of months ago, I had a very bad housemate, <laughs> very, very bad, no good housemate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, so that was a lot of stress. And that, you know, there's a, I could, it was like obvious reasons for the stress at that time. But I found myself at 
outside the grocery store in my car thinking that my heart was racing hmm. and that I was maybe having a heart attack and that oh, I couldn't, wow. couldn't feel my fingers and maybe I was like dying like imminently. And I was just, I just com was completely crying and just freaking out. And, and, and I did, I had taken a, like a, like a cleanse type of a pill that caused some physical stuff. So maybe that I was also imagining like some of the things that were happening with that were helping me to think that there was something wrong. Cause I hadn't quite put together like some of the effects of this stupid thing that I took and promptly threw out once I realized that, <laughs> but, um, but it do, I don't think it was just that. Like, I definitely went way on a limb thinking something really horrible was happening to me physically. And that, it, it, and it was weird because I knew that I was walking around and, like, doing stuff. So if I were, like, as deathly ill as my mind thought I was, like, I, I wouldn't be walking around doing stuff. You know what I mean? Okay. So it was, like, a very deep kind of psychological panic. Hmm. Wow. Had, and, had something happened just before this? I think I can't remember the exact thing, um, but I did. I was living with this person that I knew I had to get rid of, and I was. So know. this started then. Yeah, this oh, to this okay. level, that was the first time I ever recall having this like, that extreme a kind of what I called a panic attack, which I I, I had never. Your roommate has been out of the picture for there are, yeah he's out of the picture oh, wow. so this but yeah. so that happened at that time though that you know oh, well, oh. back then and then i feel like i i feel like some of that creeping back like it's not as extreme like i'm not mm. you know i'm not incapacitated by it or something but but i feel a kind of anxiety that's new mm. that i i'm like not kept like i feel like i'm i'm uh not quite catching my breath like i'm hyperventilating just in a normal walking around state kind of wow. thing okay so yeah so i'm dealing with anxiety on a level that i haven't had before and i think i'm not a person to want to take drugs that i don't need including supplements that are bad for you so <laughs> i have to add that to the list so i guess you know i'm not i don't think i want to run to a psychiatrist and start taking anxiety meds yet but i know that some people do that and it really helps them in their life if the, if it becomes like an ongoing problem yeah. i you think know. you need to have more of them to to want to really try to medicate your way out of it and so but i guess i'm just yeah i'm sorry have you, have you tried your your what are your normal go-to's for dealing with anxiety yeah my normal go-to's are getting back to the life that I actually enjoy. And I think I've, I think I've let a lot of things go that are, are really important for my happiness. Like, you know, the basic things like meditation and enough exercise and I don't know, just times to just personal time, you know, to not mm -hmm. be working and to not uh, to do, not have, not working on someone else's deadline or something. So there's a lot of things that I know. Oh, diet, obviously, you know, just getting my diet a lot clearer and more toward what makes me feel good and not just what what's there on the shelf at the moment or whatever. So I think I need to start to unravel like where 
I definitely know that sometimes I'm I'm very much in a in a place where I'm healthy and I'm ba- I'm doing all the things that I know are good for me, and then I kind of let it unravel a bit, and so mm. working back how to get back to those things without well working back to those things and and sort of keeping on that even keel I think is is a part of it, and I'm hoping that those things can are are the things that will help because I don't know what else you know I mean I know quiet and sitting and definitely I definitely am not getting enough exercise I mean it's better than it's been but it's not what my usual is you know Mm -hmm. but I haven't been going to the gym I'm not ready to go back to a place where everyone's heavy breathing close to each other well yeah (laughs) indoors for hours we're, we're also expecting you know another lockdown type situation imminently maybe it's not as bad where you are but this uh uh, my city Rahway is apparently experiencing a a specific kind of spike right now Mm. and i I know our mayor was talking about it the other day Uh, my daughter works as a server in a, a local restaurant where i don't think they're doing indoor dining or not i don't know but i mean she's actually would prefer a lockdown so she doesn't have to be around people yeah Um, that's a scary job right now yeah Mm. i mean we have we have that we have and any weird purring noises my cat just recently jumped into my lap while you were talking Mm -hmm. purring into the microphone very loudly (laughs) um and and she's this is groot and she's uh actually one of my anxiety reducing things yeah because mm-hmm. i think there's actually been studies that shown that you know a cat purring on you like lowers your heart rate and stuff like that hmm. and and she tends to notice when i need a snuggle and she'll come snuggle me not all the cats will do that but she does that wow and uh, and you know, I know you're allergic to cats, so I'm not going to recommend getting a cat. <laughs> well, I have a, I have a rando, the cat who lives outside, who I've been taking care of, and yeah, but you need she's to very need cool the physical contact. Yeah, well, we hang out. She's good. Okay, you know, she'll okay. sit and she'll sit and whine. I can't pick her up yet, but she will come and wind around my legs, and she likes being pet and stuff. Yeah, so uh, but you could also you know tame the squirrels in your yard. <laughs> You know what? Maybe that's it. Maybe I need a new hobby. Yeah. And maybe that will be squirrel taming. And you, you can build one of those. peanuts and feed them to the squirrels. And, yeah. then, and in a month, they will love you. And so But you can build an obstacle course for the squirrels, too. That would be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, this sounds, though, like it wouldn't be a bad idea to talk to somebody professional. I think that's true. If it if it continues on the level that that happens that this summer, um, I I mean I guess you're right because it's that's not a functional thing, you know. No, I'm. Uh, I don't know, but I do have like a it it is kind of like a heavy anxiety thing that is just around most often. I have better days, but it's it's it well, seems to be. A thing that's that's pretty yeah. stable right now. Because uh, I I feel like the anxiety that I have, and I've 
believe me, I've had anxiety over this past year. It still doesn't sound like that. I don't mm-hmm. know. So I don't feel like I can I can say, oh, just do what I do because <laughs> because uh, we're different. That's all. We're yeah. different. Well, I, I appreciate hearing your thoughts. So I know you watch the Narrowboats, Mary, on video. <laughs> is, yeah. that, is that a calming thing? That you, yes, that's that a very calming thing mm-hmm. uh, to me. And is especially, but, oh gosh, I've fallen in love with the people. And there's a couple different Narrowboat shows. I don't know why everybody who has a Narrowboat decides to make their own YouTube channel and sh- their own little show. But now they have to make money somehow. Yes, that well, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what they do. And uh, one of the ladies, I I just feel like she's a friend now. Her name is Deb, and she's come down with cancer, so it, it's very uh, scary. So now I'm mm. getting anxious again. The thing that was calming <laughs> me is, but wow, I'm anxious for Deb. Uh, well we'll see what happens we'll see what happens and it's like amazing that she and her husband they're they're still carrying on the show they have a show once a week and they let us know what's going on she had to go to the hospital and have certain tests and stuff like that that's not a journey i want to watch on yeah Yeah, (laughs) i'm sorry yeah i i lived that with other friends who were going through chemo and all that other stuff and yeah and yeah that's probably that's not enough. good for me right now yeah. so, so avoid the avoid that show okay <laughs> avoid that show i have I, a sense that more time away from screens will be good yeah yeah because I, a lot of people are leaving social media for that reason yeah mm-hmm. well i like social media and it's a lot of my work and i and i i think it has a lot of value and just looking at some trees is mm. a good thing, you know, sometimes, you know, because I mean, one of the things which is a, a, a fun thing that is a challenge in a weird way is that <laughs> I love Pokemon Go, right? So, which I just became level 39, which is the penultimate wow. level, which is exciting. Wow. But it takes, you know, if you're doing that, I'm walking down the street, but I'm still not really just walking. I'm doing another computer thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, th- I've been taking breaks from that for sure. And just saying like, okay, I'm just going for a plain old walk right now. You know, one of the, you know, those psychology websites, there was a, a quiz you could take mm-hmm. to see where you are on like an anxiety scale or a depression scale and and I wasn't anxious, but I was depressed, which was kind of, I knew that. Mm. Um, I have, I've recently, <clears throat> I think I'm coming out of the depression phase and I, and it makes me believe I've got some kind of um, low level uh, bipolar hmm. in me. Cause I definitely, you know, I'm considered moody and I have mood swings, but mm. You know, but this year, this year is kind of a, I have to kind of think of it as an outlier. You know, I'm. There's a lot of reasons, actual reasons to be anxious this year. The background radiation level of stress is way higher than it has been in a long time. I mean, it's been ramping up for the last four years. and, And this year was particularly egregious because of 
the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I just got a random text from someone that just says, do you eat cheese? <laughs> and that's, I don't know, maybe getting random questions is a good thing to help You're with anxiety. Is that, is, that, is that in context with your anxiety now? No. Is it because of the I don't think I know. <laughs> but maybe, you know. I don't know. That's funny. I like, yeah. like are you having enough laugh. cheese? That's yeah. a, the first question on the anxiety checklist. Are you having enough cheese? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. Well, you know, but, it, it was funny to me hearing you talk about, uh, Wendy, talk about how the whole COVID thing causing more anxiety uh, for you. And I have to say, because I've had such a year that that was so anxiety filled that when COVID happened and I was sent home from work, I went, Oh God, thank God. <laughs> and I just, the, I'm finding the, the lockdown very relaxing because I'm away from all the things that cause me anxiety. Although I have a lot of anxiety working at home, but it's, is hard to cope with the the thing that i do you know i said of course this not necessarily works for anybody else ever since i was a little kid my favorite book was the sword and the stone and in the sword and the stone something really awful happens to the main character they call him wart and uh merlin says to him, well, when you're feeling down, the best thing is to learn something new. And that's always mm. stuck with me. And whenever I have really awful things happen to me, I try to focus on learning something new. And um, I was uh, learning, trying to learn how to write. And then I realized, too, uh, I came across this article, too. With the whole thing, in case it's a new new reader, I mean, new listener that don't know, in the past year, I've had multiple things happen. My husband went bankrupt, then had a stroke, then died, then uh, I was ended up in the hospital getting my gallbladder out. So it's not been a good year. So <laughs> it's really, no, it has not. But um so I was writing, and I, I just came across this article, too. So I, I've been trying to get myself to write, and um, one of the things I do, it's just um, writing some, when when something specific is causing anxiety, I, I just vent on the page. I write on scrap paper. I don't write to save for the history. I write it, and then maybe I'll read it again, and then I'll put it in the shredder. and. Hmm. So it's just it's just getting it out of me seems to work. But there, oh, I have this other, this article too. Uh, here it is. Uh, feeling upset. It's from the Association for Psychological Science. And they talk about writing when when you're upset about something. It says an extensive body of research shows that People who write about a traumatic experience or difficult situation in a manner that psychologists refer to 
as expressive writing, recording their deepest thoughts and feelings, often show improved mental and physical health. So that's that's something that uh, I suggest. Yeah, I think that's all true. And that's, um, you know, there are things, there's a, those are things that I know, that writing mm-hmm. and would should always help me i mean it's part of part of what i feel defines who i am and what i do in a lot of ways you know but it's something i haven't been doing so i think getting back to center is really paramount right now and the idea and that's actually a good insight mary that i hadn't thought about something totally new you know like i can give some energy to toward getting back to the things that I know help me health wise and, and mentally and Mm. maybe something that takes me out of totally out of left field where I've always like, there's, these are all the things I have to attend to and get done and do and worry about. And maybe there's something I can just do. That's totally, I've never thought about before. Yeah. And that could be very liberating. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Thomas Limoncelli. Web hosting by InMotion. And remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening.